Welcome to Cybersecurity On Call, where we discuss the trends, get perspectives, and find tips for cybersecurity professionals. I'm your host, TJ Lair from Cloudera. On call today will be Paul Roberts, the founder and editor-in-chief of the Security Ledger. But first, let's look at what's happening in the world of cybersecurity. Our lives are continuing to become connected. Just look at your phone in your pocket. If you have an iPhone 6 for an example, you are walking around with a connected device that has nine sensors in it. Nine sensors that are constantly collecting data on you. If you're an Amazon user, you might have an Amazon Dash button that connects your Amazon account for one-click shopping on those pesky items. While this connectivity has given us a new understanding of creature comforts, they have also created risk. The recent smart lock manufacturer LockState can vouch for that. In a firmware update LockState recently pushed, they killed a good number of their customer smart locks, making them unusable for people wanting to connect to them. Imagine that. You install a smart lock on your vacation or rental property that you visit once a year, and you come home to find out it has been broken this entire time. Talk about risk. So, to learn more about how the industry is balancing connectivity with cybersecurity, we have invited Paul Roberts to join us. Paul is the founder and editor-in-chief of The Security Ledger, an independent security news website that explores the intersection of cybersecurity with the Internet of Things. Paul is a seasoned reporter, editor, and industry analyst with more than a decade of experience covering the information technology security space. His writings about cybersecurity have appeared in publications including MIT Technology Review, CIO Magazine, ZDNet, and Fortune. He has appeared on NPR's Marketplace Tech Report, KPCC's AirTalk, Al Jazeera, and The Oprah Show. Paul, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, TJ. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's jump right into it. So, Paul, I really want your perspective on where we are today with connectivity and where we're going from a product design and implementation perspective. Well, I mean, I think that that uh, every pr- that p- connectivity is a trend in product design. People adding internet connections to products uh, is a trend that's going to continue and accelerate, and we've already seen that really within just the last four or five years. Um, you know, the Consumer Electronics Show every year is a big deal, and and the trend certainly going back the past few years is on smart stuff. Um, some of it's kind of silly, uh, you know, smart toothbrushes and smart spoons that tell you when you're eating too fast, um, but um, some of it is is quite serious, uh, smart vehicles and smart home appliances and, like you mentioned, door locks. So um, companies recognize that this is a feature that people want and need, and so they are going to be providing it and adding it into their products um, one way or the other. Fantastic. So, so where do you think we're going in the industry? Is it, it just going to become more and more pervasive and, and everything we have around us is going to be connected? Is that the vision that you're seeing? I think that really is. I mean, we talk about the Internet of Things, and I think that is a trend that is already um, mature and, and again, picking up, picking up speed. So, yes, I think um, both from a product, so both from a consumer perspective, you know, the, the things that we carry on our bodies and that inhabit our living spaces, our homes and our offices um, increasingly will be have an Internet address, an IP address. Um, be communicating either to our home network or maybe even up to the cloud um, f- to uh, relay data, to get software updates, 
um, to aggregate data. Um, and as you said, I mean, this is in many cases about creature comfort. So, you know, smart TVs are amazing things. You know, I can, I can watch uh, streamed movies on Netflix or HBO or Amazon all through my Samsung smart TV, or I can just watch cable like I did could, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. You know, that's, that's incredible. That's a huge change in how we consume media. Um, and it's very convenient and wonderful. Um, you know, similarly, you know, our, our iPhones, um, you know, <laughs> and Android phones are absolutely indispensable um, devices in all of our lives. And if you read even, you know, right now we've got a tragedy going on in Houston, but if you read the um, media reports of it, you know, how critical mobile phones are, smartphones are to, in some ways, the survival of, of the residents of Houston as they're trying to get um, saved, as they're trying to communicate with other people in their families, as they're trying to figure out what's going on or how to get around, you know, in a flooded city. Um, so those, and then, you know, that type of ability, those types of features are really just spreading out, broadening out to a much wider population of products, not just, you know, phones, which are really quite powerful devices. They've got a lot of storage and memory and processing power on them and a lot of different types of sensors, but, you know, a whole range of smaller, lower powered, more function specific devices that might be in our homes, you know, cameras or dishwashers and, and refrigerators, um, you know, maybe even just the, the home itself, you know, sensors that um, are detecting um, things like airflow or, or heat and so on, and just helping you to make your home more efficient or your community more efficient. So, I mean, it's it, there's, there's a huge desire for it on the part of consumer, and there are just a lot of real practical reasons why getting better, more granular detail about our surroundings and our world might help us to make smarter decisions. So, so yeah, I think um, I think it's a trend that's going to continue. Absolutely. No, I'm I'm uh, a user of the Amazon Echo, Echo, I should say. I just got that recently and it's definitely yes. changed my life. It's now I have Spotify everywhere in my home whenever I want. It. It's amazing <laughs> and I can order whatever I want. <laughs> yeah, I have it too and it you know, um even though you'd think like, well, what's the big deal, you know, you 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 talk to the device instead of going into your phone and and you know activating the Spotify app and picking your playlist. But actually, it's a huge convenience to just be like, oh, you know, put on NPR or put on Spotify and play this, you know, and just not have to do the clicking and typing or or that you used to. Um, is is in fact a huge convenience, and I use it all the time, as I'm sure you do. Absolutely, absolutely. So I, I have a question for you. Obviously, this is cybersecurity on call. The intersection of this connectivity with cybersecurity in terms of product design and implementation, I would love to get your thoughts on it. And, and a little curveball for you, if you could you know, maybe put it in context of a company that does it really well. So a company that is building a connected device, a company that is you know, designing this product and implementing this product, um, what, what are they doing so well and, and you know, why is this company doing well in your opinion? I mean, there are a couple. I mean, I, I, there are a couple companies I can think of that make what we think about as connected products that I think do quite well uh, at it. And and there are a lot of companies that maybe are lower profile that are doing an okay job. And then I think there's a long tail of companies that are doing a really terrible job and and either escaping notice or in some cases not escaping notice. 
you know, the company that makes connected products that really has been so influential in, in all of our lives and in the industry, and that does from by all accounts, as somebody who's you know been covering security for 15 years, does a really good job of it is Apple Computer, um, which you know makes iPhones and iPads and Macs. Most security experts give them very high marks on the security both of their devices and of the overall ecosystem that supports those devices. So, um, you know, the App Store and so on. Um, the and, and iOS, the operating system that runs on those devices. So the operating system is hardened and relatively difficult to break. I mean, uh, iOS zero days or vulnerabilities fetch seven-figure uh, bounties, uh, either on the um, uh, you know, in the above board market or on the black market, they're highly valuable because it's just a very difficult operating system to crack. Um, and you read very few stories uh, about malicious apps on the Apple App Store. So they've got a process for vetting the quality of applications, mobile applications, before they'll allow them to be um, used on their devices. And by and large, it seems like they're doing a pretty good job of that. We've had a couple stories in the last couple of weeks of you know, Apple's main competitor, Google, um, having to pull hundreds of apps from Google Play because they were involved in a botnet um, and uh, called WireX. Um, there was a, another story last week of them having to pull a few hundred applications off because they used a really suspicious um, component, uh, Chinese uh, software development kit that people were worried about. Uh, you generally don't hear those types of stories in the context of Apple and iOS. Um, so that's a really good example. It's also a model that is hard to replicate because Apple owns the whole, what you might think of as the whole stack. They both make the software and they make the hardware on which the software runs. So they have total control over all the components that go into their devices, who supplies those components. If they need to make uh, feature changes, um, they know 100% what type of platform those features are going to run on, which greatly simplifies things. Um, you know, by comparison, Google has uh, pursued a more open strategy. Uh, Android is an open source operating system that pretty much anyone can use. Android phones are made by hundreds of different uh, vendors. Um, and Google has very little control over how any of those vendors, uh, those OEMs who make the handsets, let alone the companies who are the customers of the OEMs, um, what they do or when they do it. So that's resulted in a much more um, vibrant and open ecosystem for Android, but also one that's had more security problems. You know, in the connected device space, you could also look at a company like Tesla, um, you know, uh, that is well-respected for its engineering, has pioneered connected and smart features from over-the-air software updates for their cars to adjust even things like suspensions and so on. Um, rel, you know, does, you know, has had very few relatively security issues uh, come up with its vehicles. Yeah, and, and just like that lock state example I gave earlier, it's all about, you know, pushing constant software updates, but we saw how that could go just awful, right? If, if you don't test your software uh, before you get it out there to that endpoint, uh, it could go really wrong. And I know iOS is, is the worst at it in terms of always having those software updates that you always have to you know, run at the most inopportune <laughs> yes. time, right? You're, you're getting on a conference call and then you have to hop on a uh, you know, an hour and a half download. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, what's, what's your thoughts on that? The the constant update of, of iOS. It's, it's a necessary <clears throat> evil, if you will. Yes. I mean, in fact, you know, there are probably just as many updates for the Android operating system. It's just that relatively few people apply them. In fact, the, the upgrade model, the upgrade model that's evolved for Android phones more or less is just to get a new phone. Many carriers that sell phones, at least in the United States or handset makers, um, are not interested in pushing out updates to their customers because they're worried about, you know, the updates breaking things. They're worried about the support hit they may take. So their advice would be, well, if you want the latest version of upgrade up, of Android, you should probably just upgrade to the latest model phone. And that will come with the newer <laughs> version of Android. So th- that's not great for a bunch of reasons as well. Environmental reasons being just one of them, you know, you're creating a tremendous amount of waste by creating, you know, these very expensive sort of throwaway devices in some ways. Um, but so, yes, I mean, you, we all gripe about the iOS updates, but the, re, but the reality is you do apply them because Apple makes it very, very difficult not to apply them. And the result is that, you know, a large majority of, I, of iPhone and iPad users, iOS users, are running one of the either the most recent or one of the two most recent versions of the operating system. You know, nine yeah, or something. And I mean, if if Microsoft had that same practice, we wouldn't we wouldn't have had the wanna uh, cry virus spread across, you know, the EU as That's fast right. as it did, or the world, I should say. That's right. That's right. And and you know, with growing mobile threats, I mean, you you look at Android as being as being a company, uh, Google as being a company that probably wants to try and find a way to get those types of numbers because. Patching really is boring and a pain, but it actually does work. And it, from, from the security uh, practitioner standpoint, it's it's a small thing that you can do, like getting an immunization that can have a huge impact in aggregate on the overall health of the ecosystem, whether that's the internet or the internet of things. Absolutely. No, it's a, it's a great point. We're all connected. So if one person doesn't, uh, you know, have yeah. a uh, updated iOS, it's, it could, you know, reach all of your friends and family. So watch out for that. That's right. That's right. So I'm going to um, uh, ask you a question. You, you obviously had a whole bunch of, you know, best practices and recommendations um, around uh, Apple and Google and even Tesla. Um, if you had to recommend a best practice to a company who's building a connected device, what's that, you know, one or two things that, that they should think about? Well, I mean, I think what most people would say is um, start early with security, not late. So from a development and design standpoint, you know, security should be a major area of focus and investment from the very earliest stages of product conception and design. Do not figure, oh, well, we'll just deal with the security issues as they come up, or let's just get this thing built, and then we can figure out how to secure it later, you know, when we're ready to release it. Those are really bad instincts. They're common ones, but they're really bad ones. So um, start thinking about how your product will be deployed and used, what risks um, it will face or will pose to your would-be customers and build security in from the beginning. There's a lot of focus and conversation going on now about um, what we call DevOps and Sec DevOps, so DevOps and Secure DevOps. Um, and you can Google around for those terms and find a lot of really great guides and guidelines for um, how to you know, secure a agile and um, um, 
you know, modern software development process, how to inject security into that. Um, so that would be number one, which is start early thinking about product security, make your, you know, both product design and also your hiring decisions based on the expectation that security is a priority for your organization. So try and get people on staff who have some secure development expertise, um, product designers and so on, people who might be able to do pen testing or red teaming of, um, you know, complete or partially complete products to find vulnerabilities and think like a hacker would think when they look at your product. Um, those are all going to really save you a lot of headache and heartache down the line. That's great. Uh, no, that's great feedback. And we actually had, um, I'm not sure if you, you're familiar with Alan Schimmel, uh, who's mm-hmm. a proponent of DevSecOps. Uh, we had him on a podcast recently to discuss that. So it's a fantastic advice. Um, yeah. I, I just want to, we're, we're almost out of time here. I just want to wrap up on, on one question. That was great advice for the uh, listener who's building a connected device. Uh, but for all the other listeners out there, maybe they're not building a connected device. They're just a cybersecurity practitioner. Um, if you had one tip for for them, uh, what would it be uh, when it comes to you know protecting themselves in this connected uh, connected world? Um, th- there are a lot. I mean, I think you know don't don't count on the the company that made the pro the connected product that you're that you're buying and deploying to have thought of security for you. Um, And be very aware of things like default passwords um, that might come with a device. You know, those, you know, most of the IoT-based security threats and problems that we've seen are not super sophisticated, nor do they require a super sophisticated attacker to... um, to carry out. Many of them are just um, attackers finding connected devices online like cameras and digital video recorders and then typing in the default credentials or some easily guessed password to, to get access to them. So don't make life easy for them. You know, Even if the device comes with default credentials, um, make sure you change those deploy a device just so that it can be accessed on the public internet, put it behind, you know, a firewall or a router that's using, you know, network um, address translation to hide it from just anybody who might be scanning the public internet looking for a device to hack, because those people are out there. Um, so that would be my advice. It's it's hard to look at. We don't have a way like um, Underwriters Lab or um, Energy Star where you can look at a product on the shelf and say, aha, it's cyber secure. You know, God willing, that's something we might have in the next five or 10 years, but there's no easy way to do it now. Um, so it's more a question of, you know, you're going to buy a device, you're going to take it home, you know, take some time when you've got it out of the box and are setting it up to secure it, um, enable any security features that come with the device, put in a good, unique, strong password and, and, and administrator account, and then make sure when you deploy it, that it's not just publicly, uh, you can't be found on the public internet. Wow. No, it's all very fantastic advice. I got, you know, two things I want to say. Uh, definitely going to go check all my default passwords right now as soon as we get off this call. <laughs> um, and, yes. then you, and then you heard it here first, cyber secure device. I like that. I, I can see it now. Just yes. a little shield over your you know microwave. Uh, this device yes. is cyber secured. So fantastic, fantastic advice, Paul. For, uh, I want to thank you for your time. Uh, thank you so much, Paul, for joining us on cybersecurity on call. 
TJ, it's been a pleasure and great talking with you. And uh, I look forward to uh, hearing this episode and others from you. Well, thank you. And thanks to our audience for listening. We'd like to keep in touch on Twitter. So please follow Paul at Paul F. Roberts and Cloudera too at Cloudera. And that's all, folks. My name is TJ Lair, and I look forward to hosting you next time on Cybersecurity On Call.